This is the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast. So we are back on the Catholic Movie Guy Podcast, and um, this podcast is probably going to run the week after Easter, so I thought, hmm, what better way to celebrate Christ's resurrection than by talking about Wolverine? What do you think, Bo? I think growing up Southern Baptist and reading a lot of X-Men comic books, that strangely really would work out. You know, because we, we Protestants didn't make necessarily the biggest deal about Easter. So, yeah, this is kind of just my childhood again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, no bigs, you know, just resurrection, no problem. Uh, before we get into the serious, uh, serious uh, nature of the film discussion, I wanted to bring up something, Bo. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to uh, our Vertigo podcast. No, I just saw it posted. Okay. I'm sorry, I've not got no, to. No, no, it's okay. I just want to. I just want you to be forewarned before you listen. You know that I, I, Tim's opinions are not my opinions. Let's just put it that way. Okay. <laughs> but Tim, uh, Tim has a bit of a, a, a complex, I believe, about Mr. Bobana. Oh wow! Because yeah. I mean, the last time when we were talking about Gangs of New York, I thought we had become fast friends. Oh, so. He puts on a good face for the public, but you know, I go to I go to events and people are like, they're either Bo people or they're Tim people. It's kind of a Mario Luigi thing. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I just hope we as can long all, as I hope we can all stay friends. A, you didn't say a Twilight thing, so I'm okay with it. Awkward. Um, so yeah, today's movie, uh, which I will not be talking about with Tim because he doesn't see new movies and he also doesn't see superhero movies. So there's just double, double whammy here is Logan. I hesitate calling it a superhero movie though, because it's, uh, to me, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not speaking for you here. It's kind of in that rarefied air of, uh, I know it's about superheroes, but I don't, and it might be the one of the best superhero movies I've ever seen, if you if you consider it that. But it's not like a superhero movie in the way that the Avengers is. Right, and I think that you always get these um, genre movies that are so good that you have to try to tell friends you're like, no, 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 no. Especially if you don't like superhero movies, this is like the one for you to watch. Yeah. Because of exactly like you said, it's it it. it it's not over-reliant on tropes, that, you know, for the superhero movies. But it's also like you don't have to be... You know how sometimes they make like an anti-superhero movie, but you have to know all of the superhero tropes to get the joke of it all? Mm -hmm. And Logan would just be a good movie if there was no such thing as X-Men beforehand. It wasn't this long-established comic book, and they just made up a guy who happened to have, you know, claws... And, and did this, so I, I'm with you. I think that it might be one of the best ever made, precisely because it doesn't rely on being a superhero movie. Yeah, and I and I want to say, like, I'm I'm a fan of most of the Marvel movies, although it is becoming oversaturation at this point. But even when you're watching the best of them, like the Avengers, you're very aware that you're watching a production about superheroes, and they're always kind of winking at you at some points, you know, that they know it is too. Um, Whereas this movie never, it never, uh, it never blinks. You know what I mean? It's uh, it there's no winking. Yeah, it there's takes just, itself seriously and it works. Right, and and there is there is just painful tears of agony. Uh, there is no winking in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't I don't think anyone I don't think anyone winked throughout the entire thing. Uh, but I want to say to anyone who's listening to this, you know, this is the Catholic Movie Guy podcast, and in some circles, I was actually monitoring a conversation on Twitter the other day. Some of the Catholic reviews. They are painting this movie as uh, nihilistic at best and sacrilegious at worst. 
So I, I want to go ahead and say, if you're interested and you've had those thoughts, I, I don't think it's either of those things. There is uh, one scene of gratuitous nudity uh, that's very brief, but I mean... Truly stupid, like truly I don't even know stu- why yeah. it's there. Uh, I, always call this, I always call this the trading spaces, or excuse me, trading places uh, nudity. I don't know if you saw that movie with Eddie Murphy and uh, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah. But I have this theory, I'm going to write a thesis about it when I, when I, when I get time. That in the 80s, uh, no matter what kind of movie it was, you had to sneak in some sort of brief nudity, no matter how ridiculous or out of place, uh, as in the movie Trading Places. So that's 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 this. It's like they, they're like, oh, this is rated R. We might as well get something in here. And yeah, they, isn't it and weird that like everybody acts like our upbringing in the 80s was so moral, but 80 movies truly just did that. And you're like, yeah. I thought this was about... Uh, space camp or something. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But other than that, you know, brief problem. I mean, it's a violent movie. There's lots of vulgarity. Uh, maybe too, maybe on the side of too much. Or, but you know, whatever. I, it didn't. It's nothing that 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 got. I, I mean, we'll talk about the ending when, when we get there. But if you're if you don't want it spoiled, and you're the type of person who's considering seeing it, which means you know it's going to be violent and vulgar, then don't let those reviews dissuade you. I think. Right. I think that. People who want to decide this is nihilistic or sacrilegious would be the fuddy-duddies who would think that No Country for Old Men is necessarily that way. Or I don't imagine how they could read a Dostoyevsky novel without having their faith greatly shaken. Because I don't think the whole point of this movie is... I mean, there's there's Shakespeare characters that are absolutely more nihilistic than anyone in this. Sure, yeah. And I, and, and I mean, the movie does... Obviously, uh, like all great movies, I think, wrestle with the big questions of what's it all about, you know. Uh, but I don't think you can come away from this movie without, with, a, with a sense of meaninglessness of life. I, I don't see that at all. Uh, but anyway, brief, brief, brief plot summary because, you know, go see the movie. Wolverine's old. He's, uh, he's decrepit. He's not as decrepit as Professor X. And uh, he's basically caretaker with Professor X with this guy named what's his name Caliban, who's, yes. who's a, who cannot see the light. Uh, his his weakness is sunlight, which is a problem. Uh, and uh, then one thing leads to another, and uh, mutants appear to have died out, but it's not so, and it's up to Wolverine to ensure the safety of the remaining mutants. Uh, I don't want to get into any more f- for spoiler purposes. But I want to mention that, you know, if you're a person who doesn't know the entire history of the X-Men, don't worry, because you don't need to. All you need to know is that Wolverine was a mutant, and uh, he had a healing power, and that power is fading. And then, you know, and Professor X is this psychic that obviously used to be this huge deal that, uh, you know, had... Obviously there was this prestige he used to have, and that his mind is slipping away. And then Caliban, is, he is truly like a rate superhero I mean like no one talks about you know I was in like my brother and I were nerding out and we're like really wow you can always tell when there's a movie that's going to do something interesting when they're like main superhero main superhero D-list guy from 1984 to 1989 or something like that I was into the X-Men comics and I do not specifically remember Caliban like the name rang a bell but uh Nothing, nothing uh, specific. He's he's not really. It's not essential. You, you can go in cold, and uh, the reason for that is, as we talked about before the podcast started, that this is one of those rare superhero movies that transcends the superhero movie and is a superhero movie, but it really isn't. Yeah, I, I, and, and like I said, I, I think that 
there's many times where there's a movie that is a genre movie, but that it's so good that it almost outstrips the genre itself, but then makes it where people will want to go um, see it because it, it, it sort of imbibes what's good about the genre, but then uses that to, to make a story that's worthwhile and on its own. I mean, I think about, like, if you're talking about, like, a really classic example, The Third Man, uh, you know, which is uh, this is a black-and-white movie, but it was really, like, playing off of all those film noir sort of set pieces and ideas, but then just made a, a movie that completely transcended all that. You didn't need to be, like, a detective gumshoe guy to like the movie. And I, I think you guys were talking about this with... Um, there's one of the mafia mob movies that you were bringing up. Miller's Crossing. Right. So I don't think you need to know every mob movie to make understand that this movie is great, even though it uses those conventions like you guys talked about on that right. podcast. And just, But just as much as it's a superhero movie, it may even more be a Western, don't you think? Yeah, and this goes back to the um, co- podcast we had with Hell or High Water, where we had you know uh, people saying interesting discussions on your Facebook page too about what makes a western. But clearly, that idea of space and borders, and even damnation and salvation, mm-hmm. um, are just interwoven into all of this, and they really do catch. Um, music is always important in westerns, and I, I'd say this movie, music plays another central role, and then also just always the background and the scenery are always like, you know, the third character in every scene sort of deal. And, and in that regard, it really is a Western. It just happens to be a Western where a dude has claws and slashes people's faces <laughs> open. Yeah. I, uh, before we get to the slashing people, because that's essential, uh, I wanted to say, with, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that he does find a, he happens upon a the fact that there are still some mutants out there for one reason or another, and they're being preyed upon by this uh, mysterious corporation that uh, wants to utilize them for, you know, like, super war weapons. That's a pretty old trope of superhero comics that has been played out many times. Right, Logan himself, Wolverine, I mean, that's right, why that's he, how he, he Right, is. that's his origin, exactly. So, um, but one of the, the main mutant that he meets is a girl with powers that are identical to his own, and she's also been implanted with the adamantium, just like him. Right. You know, it's about him trying to get the girl to safety, Right. And the getting the girl to safety takes the form of a place in North Dakota that has certain uh, latitude and longitude, and they call it Eden. And you, and you know it's about him trying to get her to this you know uh, this physical paradise where mutants are free from harassment and she can be safe. But obviously, it couldn't be more obvious that they're drawing a parallel between getting to Eden and him getting to you know like like a literal uh, a figurative Eden of heaven. Right. By by because he I mean he's he is depressed, he's an alcoholic, he's surrounded by death and suffering because Professor X has dementia and he's gonna die, and he's got nothing to live for and nothing to die for, and so finally this girl is his salvation both in a physical and a spiritual sense. Yeah, and and it's especially for the X Men universe where Logan is this you know, person sort of stripped of time because of his healing factor and was a wild animal. And and Professor X refers to this in his disappointment with Logan and things like this. But, you know, because of Professor X and his idea that he was going to raise these mutants to basically be guardians of the world and gave Logan a purpose that even though he was always sort of, you know, a loose cannon and maybe not always a good guy, but 
you know, it, there's always this idea he came around and purpose is what made Logan not become what his enemies are. So for Logan to be living in a world where basically that dream has died out makes all of this even more stark. And so, you know, the, the last thread that Logan has is his sort of devotion to Professor X, even though Professor X, he doesn't know what to do with him, he's making him mad, he disagrees with him, and is doing this dead-end, frankly, uh, just job that's that's embarrassing, not because it's bad if you're a limo driver out there, good for you, but you don't have steel claws and could save people, but all that Logan sees is left for him is driving around this limo, trying to figure out what to do next with... Um, Professor X, who's becoming more and more dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so it's even more pathetic when you sort of know that backstory. Mm -hmm. But again, you don't need to know it to just sort of feel it by watching the scenes. And that's what I think the director does a great job doing. Is on one hand, if you know the X-Men universe, he really hits a lot of keynotes that make you, I mean, just amazed at how he's telling the story. Mm -hmm. But if you have no clue who the X-Men are, you completely pick this up about what's going on uh, in the soul of this man. Right. And I think that, you know, far, far from being nihilistic, to me, Wolverine always has been an interesting character and a, and a problematic one because his healing powers are so good. He's been around hundreds of years. He's never going to die, right? Um, what do you do with a life when you have to go on living it forever and ever? And I think that this, this movie in its own way is pointing to the fact that, you know, just physical survival is never enough. And there has to be something more to life beyond the physical realm or else it really is pointless. I don't think that's a nihilistic take. I think that's a profoundly true take. Right. And I think that, and we can maybe make more of this in the, the spoiler section, but I think a lot of people compare Logan with Batman versus Superman because that movie is dealing with Superman sort of godlike power i mean for superman it's even more obvious but obviously mm -hmm. with wolverine since he has his healing factor you know there's this idea that he can keep beginning again right because they can because of the healing factor and so they're both dealing with these issues but logan the movie deals with it i don't know if realistic is the right word but just believable right that you will like give this story a chance that you know with the superman trope they just deal with it so heavy-handed and wooden mm -hmm. that it becomes uh, redunculous, I think, as Charles Barkley says. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, Superman, to me, has always represented a godlike figure. And, you know, Jesus, too. I mean, he is a supernatural being for all intents and purposes in his universe. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, that's the interesting thing about Wolverine, because he's so clearly just a guy who has this special power and was used and implanted with a skeleton, you know? So to me, it's a much more interesting question of, like, what what would man be like if he really just kept on living and wasn't in danger of dying and there was no, no salvation uh, beyond just physical survival? Um, so that's why I've always found him compelling as a character, and I think this movie does a good job of examining that issue. I did want to say another thing that the reviews have focused on from a Catholic perspective is that this movie isn't just violent in the same way that, like, Terminator's violent or that, you know, Batman vs. Superman is violent where, you know, buildings are crashing down, presumably thousands of people are dying. But this movie, it's like if one person dies, you're going to see exactly how they died, and it's going to be brutal. I mean, Wolverine kills people by, you know, literally skewering them, by ripping their faces off, basically, with his claws, and it's all presented there. And I must admit, I am no shrinking violet. 
I actually used to like. I mean, I would look for ultraviolet films. I had I had problems with that probably. I had a tough time uh, sometimes looking at the screen, and the Catholic movie guy was just aghast. I mean, but uh, I think that's actually. I've always argued that when you present this sort of cartoon hero doing this real violence, it, it brings home to you how horrific violence is, and it's, it's certainly not attractive to me in any way. Right. I think that. Um... Just in the same way that a movie like The Passion of the Christ would get skewered for how bloody it was, but it's, and I'm not, of course, not like, do not let any crazy people listening to this act like I'm comparing Wolverine to Jesus, but you get my that's, point. That's what I heard, actually. Right. Uh, or the same thing with the movie Silence, which I know that you guys were a bit more ambivalent about than me. I, one thing that I think that, you know, that movie did a good job of was just showing the sort of sheer terror that what martyrdom must have meant was not like, you know, yeah, tough old martyrs, good job, guys. It was like, oh my gosh, right, how brutal it was. And I think this movie does something similar where because it doesn't shrink back, there's no way you can act like, well, I guess there is because people do all sorts of things. I think any reasonable person will watch this. And even if you get weirdly like the 13-year-old and you was excited for like the first five minutes of this, Ten minutes in, you are like, oh my gosh, this is brutal. And just in a way that you start to feel the wariness of Wolverine by the presentation of it all. Right. If you, it definitely drives on the point, if you feel this way watching it, how must this person feel like if they were actually doing this all the time? Right, exactly. Whether, I mean, yeah, whether it's justified or not. And that I, I wanted to bring up the whole Western thing. I mean, this movie is basically a, a superhero Shane you know, um, mm-hmm. with 2017 levels of violence and vulgarity. Right. Uh, it explicitly references Shane, but there's that classic line about, in there about man can't break the mold. Once you kill someone, you're forever changed, whether it was right or wrong, you know. Right. And uh, I think this clearly shows the, the physical effects of doing a physical evil to someone, whether it was morally justified or not in, in, in Wolverine. Yeah, and I mean, just... Yeah, it's another thing, too, where... In a world with CGI stuff left and right, and what they think we want to see when we do CGI, I'm sure one of the biggest shots fired that I always give out in movie world is, uh, I didn't like, what's the movie? Avatar. Like, everybody was so impressed with what they could do CGI-wise, and I was just not, because... I, I for a while, you know, in that movie, it's just like, look, to get it, they're blue, and they fly. Uh, <laughs> but... With this, you know, how wounded... I mean, if that's makeup or if it's computer, I don't care. The wounds on Logan, the sort of physicality of the wounds that show the woundedness of his character, I'm just always blown away when people make really good small decisions like that. Like the small decisions of the makeup artist to the people who chose the set that they did. I mean, that big drum, whatever they're living in, that has all of the holes in it so that the light shines through. Yeah. It's overdone, but it is perfect. I mean, I don't know anyone who would actually live in that thing, but I don't care because it I don't know, man. You need it. You need it for Cerebro. You know, you need it. Well, that's true. That's yeah. true. That's true. But yeah, I, I agree with you. To use CGI, you want to use CGI to make things look real, you know? It's kind of like how you use paint to try to re- represent reality. Right. When you just do it to, you know, any kid can finger paint. I, I don't know. I, I felt I feel the same way about Avatar. Um, and even when you, when you use CGI correctly, it should heighten reality, not replace it. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, we can be friends, 
since you said that about Avatar. <laughs> okay, good. Well, but it's the Tim Man that hates you, not me. Uh, <laughs> so I think I think my recommendation would be it's not for the squeamish. I know I've said that before, but this really isn't. It is no. very difficult. It is very violent. Bad things happen to bad people. Very bad, and bad things happen to very good people too. Uh, so don't go in if you're if you got a problem with violence or vulgarity. But if in you fact, don't, I, I, I would say that the I would say the only time that I thought the violence when people complain about it, I don't know how far you want to spoil the movie. No, there we'll, is we'll a, get into spoilers in a second, so you can. Yeah, but there is one group of people that I really am. I don't know if they needed to kill them, but got it. but yeah. but generally, I think the movie is more about showing how grotesque actually the violence is than praising it right so i think if don't worry that it's in my opinion anyway i i don't think it's blasphemous i don't think it's nihilistic so on those fronts you can judge yourself um that being said i'm gonna go into the spoiler section now so if you are going to go see it stop now shink that's the there you go that's wolverine (laughs) i was doing the wayne's world scooby-doo thing um okay so first point yeah, I agree that that wonderful family. Like, oh. Yeah, I mean that really hurt me. Okay, and I know they're not real people. Yeah, and I mean. So what do we what do we make of that? First, first thing I want to point out, of course, is that this family is explicitly religious, right? Right. They're Christians. The the wife is. She talks about the Lord, trusting in the Lord. She's wearing a cross necklace, all that sort of thing. And they're very good people, and they are brutally murdered because of the presence of uh, the mutants on their property. So what are, what's the film trying to tell us here? I mean, I think the the film is trying to, you know, I, I, are they are they critiquing Professor X? Are they are they in the end saying, you know, the the Professor X is right to want to see the good in humans, but he, you know, his idealism gets people killed. And if that's what it's saying, I can understand why people worry about See, the nihilism of this movie i disagree i i think it's i i think it's slightly different my my i don't know if it did this but my worry is that it's saying that professor x is selfish and he wanted a nice uh moment for himself before he went out even though he knew he was endangering these people right and and i mean again that's probably nihilistic too i think there's a way in which can know, i say the, my can, can i say my other concern real quick Yes, go My ahead. other concern would be that the movie's saying, hey, these people are good people, they're doing the right thing, they believe in God explicitly, and look what it got them. That's my <laughs> other concern. That's nihilistic, buddy. That would be very nihilistic. What I actually, my take on it, why I don't think it's ultimately nihilistic, is, you know, part of the whole uh, arc of this movie is the importance of childhood, childlikeness, right? And in this way, I actually think it's very spiritually on grasp, right? Like, it's... Because you feel your heart rent that that little girl never really gets to be a little girl. Mm-hmm. And when she gets to be a little girl, in in the in the sort of, like, wake of all the bleakness around her, it's like a shining beacon. And there's a way in which this movie's trying to show Professor X returning to his sort of childlike nature, right? I mean, it makes sense as he's losing his mental faculties and things like this. And he basically and so, says that, I mean, explicitly, that this is what it, this is what life should be like. Yes, and, and I think that, you know, so there's this whole idea about home, and of course Eden for uh, the girl is, is, is home also, and 
you, you know, if it made it too easy, right? And there's a way in which the, I don't say this is the cheesiest part of the movie, but I really did get the sense I'm like, oh my gosh, these people are going to die and it's going to be sad. I, <laughs> uh, but I think that you know, this also goes along with one of the most neat parts of the movies where they integrate X-Men comic books into yeah. the movie yeah. and say like, well, these are these stories that people say and Logan's mad and he's like, there's no eat in there and this is ridiculous and this is all just hearsay. And there's a way in which, to me, the worst this movie says is it's one of those movies that say we all need myths or it is nihilism. Mm -hmm. I actually think that it's it also believes in something more along the lines of Tolkien's true myth. I think they're saying that there are stories that at their kernel, the truth of them and the weight of that truth is so important that it drives people to go on and have hope. Mm -hmm. But I think at the worst, this movie isn't nihilistic. It starts to talk about the importance of stories and understanding our life narrated in a way that is not simply brutish and short and violent. Yeah. And so I think you had to see like the home... And, like, it's too easy, right? Like, we all can't live, especially in the, the 2029 of that movie, in an idyllic little home. But even when that was taken away, this girl shows to Logan there really is such a thing as home. And like you said, this goes into his salvation and searching for a home. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I also want to point out that, like, I mean, one of the most difficult questions that anyone who's a person of faith wrestles with is the, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do really bad things happen to really good people? But it's like... In the, Why does Baba's, younger it, Hugh Jackman happen to good people? <laughs> <laughs> True. Right. But I mean, like, you know, the fam there, there are nice families down the street right now where somebody's being raped or somebody's being killed. And you have to understand that that's true and that it, it can ultimately affect your belief in uh, the supernatural or, or why you live your life or else you, you, just, you just, just give up, you know? So right. I don't have a problem when a movie presents difficult things like that because that's life. Right. Um, you know, and I think that as we go on in the movie and, and by the end, we see how the movie answers those things in a clear way. Like you were saying with the, the Eden being made up, it's from a comic book. Well, it turns out it actually exists. It exists, okay, because they followed the coordinates in the comic book. But right. I think the fact that they find a physical salvation is meant to... Uh, uh, certainly an interpretation permissible one would be in a similar way, we can't know for sure if something is real, we have to believe, but then it turns out that actually, you know, sometimes it is real. Um, yeah, and, you know, people sometimes get hung up in religious circles about saying, like, oh, well, you're calling that faith, but that's such a, a uh, you know, what, a desiccated understanding of faith. And it's one of those deals where you want to go, okay, guys, but in a movie, we're not going to break down and have Logan say the sinner's prayer and accept Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior we, and then be able to beat Magneto or whatever. We, so there's we, going we to could. be... It would be... It would be a terrible movie. Yeah, it'd be a terrible movie. Um, what we need I think they did is, that in Fireproof, didn't they? No, oh, I've never watched that. Oh, you Are have we, to watch it. Go watch it now. Do we need to go watch it and then have that be... Uh, is that the <laughs> quickest way to get people to never listen to us? Again? There you go. But I mean, I think that it's important to say, no, well, there has to be a sort of secular analog. And so, yes, faith in Eden, which is in North Dakota, and they cross over to Canada or whatever, yes, that is not the supernatural virtue of faith. But in a movie, it can sort of be uh, a, a beacon or analogy that points to something higher than itself. And if you don't think that exists, 
well, then you have a problem with like all medieval literature in the end. Mm-hmm. And I and so let's get to the end fittingly. I want to tackle the ending because, uh, like I said, some reviewers say that it's sacrilegious. Okay, right. Logan gets the girl to Eden, but uh, it turns out that the uh, the evil corporation people know, and they chase them. They got to make it to Canada to find asylum. Okay, right. So Logan. Uh, basically gives up his life to save his daughter and the other children. Are you it, saying that it's sacrilegious to even make Canada an analogy to heaven? Because I kind of agree with that. That I'm sympathetic to. I haven't fully decided yet. Let's, put, let's table that one. <laughs> but in the process of saving the little girl, he gets impaled on a tree, a, a fallen tree, in such a manner that it is literally him being crucified to a, an X-type cross-shaped tree conflag, conflagration or whatever. Absolutely. He dies, uh, holding his daughter's hand, says this is what it feels like, tear from Catholic movie guy's eye, and then they bury him. They give him a Christian burial, by the way. They don't cremate him or anything. They don't, don't, uh, you know, Viking him. Right. They put a cross on the grave. The little girl recites some lines from the movie Shane, which we saw earlier in the movie when they were watching it in the hotel room, very poignant, going home to mother. Who's mother? Okay. And uh, in that clip they showed earlier from Shane, they show very clearly they're praying the Our Father, okay? Right. So then as all the as the as they say their last piece and they walk away, the little girl takes the is when I say cross, it's two sticks tied together and tilts right. it so that it's an X instead of a straight up T. Right. The Catholic reviewers say, Blasphemy. Go ahead. Uh, well <laughs> I just so, I, I I get I got physically angry when I saw because 'cause I'm like, I watch this even though they say there's this image and that I saw that was it and I'm like, Are you serious? Uh, well there's a few things to that one. First of all, does no one know the Saint Andrew's cross exactly. exists? That was my first point to the Catholic movie gal. I'm like, Whatever, man, they were actually crucified on eggs. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, so are you know, are you getting into east-west fights? I don't think so. I think you're just being silly about this. Yeah. I always like to point out when you get, you know, goth kids wearing an upside-down cross, right? I always go, oh, St. Peter's cross. I didn't know you were Catholic, right? So basically, the point being, <laughs> exactly. there's all sorts of crosses. People simmer down. Okay. Point. Point. The second. It's not like it's a crucifix, and they're like turning Jesus upside down or something, which would have right. some sort of bad symbolism. Uh. I mean, there's no requirement that you have a cross on a tombstone. Lots of people have, you know, a picture of Mary, a picture of flowers, hands praying. It's not like there's some requirement that you have a cross there. I, right. I just don't see the, I don't see it at all, especially in light of the fact that, like I said earlier in the film, religion was not portrayed negatively in any way or Christianity. Right. And then, you know, and obviously it points to X-Men. Right. It's, a, it's an I homage. Guess... Yeah. Right, and I mean, if, if you're going, okay, it's it's picking a lower symbol than a higher one, maybe, I think that's a stretch. And finally, this little... is where if you are a comic book nerd, you know, Wolverine was literally at one point in the stories crucified on an X cross. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously an homage to that as well. Right. I don't think it's that you get to the end of the movie and the girl's like, you know what? This Christian business, forget it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to say, by the way, the person turning it from a cross into an X, because she loves the X-Men, it's her favorite comic, is a nine-year-old girl. Right. Right, you, is she nine, ten, whatever. I mean, it's not like she's making a theological statement. She's not. Right. Yeah, I don't think that she's uh, you know, out to be a, a, lay, a, a laissez or whatever they would say in, in France. I think 
uh, and she too, right? Her, her isn't she's X twenty three, right? I mean, she's an X experiment, and this right. goes into more nerddom too. This is very. But my nerdy. point being is that yeah, it's more like an identification on a tombstone. I mean, I saw a dude have on his tombstone an ice cream sandwich, like a picture of an engraved ice cream sandwich. Who was That's this man? More... Who was this man that I may pay homage to him? Uh, he's in Beloit, Kansas. I don't know who he is. I just saw the tombstone. Oh, that's so unfortunate. Is, I'm not allowed to go into Kansas, sorry. I understand. I, but I think that that's probably more problematic than nine-year-old girl who's been experimented on, had a rough life, making the cross an X. The yes. St. Andrew's cross, as I like to call it. And I want to point out, finally, as just the cinch to this discussion, that the movie ends with one of my favorite Johnny Cash songs, The Man Comes Around which talks about, you know, the virgins trimming their lamps because Jesus is coming back. There is right. no way that that was intended in a sacrilegious manner. Sorry. No. No, it's not. It's if, ridiculous. If anything, if anything, maybe the worst you could accuse them of is tone deafness, but I think people are straining that's hardcore if that's Agreed. the problem they ultimately have with this movie. Agree. Agree, Bo Bonner. Bo Bonner. Dr. Reverend Bo Bonner III, Jr., <laughs> I love this movie, okay? Oh, yeah. It affected me. I thought about it days afterward. I cried a mighty tear. I laughed a good laugh. I was challenged. I like it a lot. I'm this close. You know I overreact to these things when I love something. I'm this close to saying it's the best superhero movie ever. I don't I don't think it is. I still I still would probably give that to The Dark Knight. I don't know how you feel about that. But it's in the discussion. It's that good precisely because it transcends the genre. Yeah, uh, and I, I I cause a lot of grief with people because I actually think Batman Begins is better than The Dark Knight, ultimately. I held and that I, position for a couple of years. I've relented. It's close, though. I agree. That's a great movie. But, uh, yeah, I... No, this is easily one of the best. I, I It just... You can't talk about best superhero movies and not include this and... Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Use. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. There's oh. no way that one's... Up I love there. the <laughs> rapping. Love that. Um, <laughs> here's the thing, Bo. In the past, you'll rave about a movie for, you know, for 40 minutes, and then you'll say, oh, six and a half out of ten. So what do you give this out of ten? Because uh, it, it, I'm, I'm with you in this. Um, I have to see it a few more times before I give anything a ten, but I easily, easily give it 9.5 gruesome claw deaths. Nice, nice, nice. And I give it uh, easily nine and a half albino superheroes no one wants to see. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's clear. I, if if you have any love for the genre at all, I think you're insane if you don't like it. And I really do think many people, as long as they're not too squeamish, um, would would be good to go with this movie. I do realize that, like, now that I think about it, you're usually calling me if children are harmed in a movie or if the movie <laughs> is gruesome. So I'm, but I'm kind of okay with that, I guess. Uh, you figured out the twist. See, I was going to reveal that last, but you got to it. You're very smart. That's why they call you Doctor Reverend, the Right Honorable His Majesty Bobon. Yep, yep. All right, so Bo, thank you. It was a pleasure. I feel like I was intellectually challenged, uh, unlike some some other podcast guests I may have had in the past. I have to go and listen to the Vertigo podcast now. Podcast now. I'm kind of worried about this yeah. one. Well, don't worry. You can, I'll give you ample time for your own diss track on the, on the next one. Okay. okay. All right, man. Thank you. All right. Take it. Sounds good. Thank you.